Some of you know this, but I really, really enjoy golf. And that's a new thing for me. Uh, I, it's a gift that a couple people in this congregation, a couple guys took me out golfing and said, we're gonna teach you how to golf. And they were extremely patient and extremely kind. There was no pressure. And you know what? I was really, really, really bad. I was awful. It was terrible. And I liked it though, so I took a golf lesson. And the golf lesson helped. And so now, I'm just really, really bad. And so there's improvement, right? There's marked improvement. And I think golf is a lot like the Christian life. And you may think I'm nuts, but let me explain. There's times where I'm golfing where all of a sudden I'll hit a shot and it'll be like beautiful. It'll be textbook. It'll look, it'll just stay, go far straight and go down the fairway. And I say, you know what? I'm getting pretty good at this. And then the very next shot, it looks like I had the golf club backwards and it went out of the way. And the Christian life is like that. We come to Christ, we give our life to Jesus, and he makes us new, he declares us righteous, but then we enter this process that we talked about, this process called sanctification, where we're being made more and more like Christ, but it's kind of this up and down crazy process because there's moments where all of a sudden we say, wow, I think I'm really getting good at this thing called the Christian life, and then the very next minute, we're saying, why did I think that? Why did I do that? Why am I even trying this? And the Christian life can be full of these great highs and these great lows. If there was only a spiritual golf lesson that could help us out with the Christian life. The book of Romans and our understanding of the book of Romans is just that. Our understanding of the book of Romans is like a spiritual golf lesson that helps make sense of when we love God and say, wow, I think I'm really growing in him. And then the next second, we do things that we're just utterly ashamed of. And we say, what, I should give up. The book of Romans is a gift to us to teach us how we are supposed to live. And when we blow it, we don't condemn ourselves but we repent and we receive grace and mercy and that grace and mercy empowers us to live holy lives the way that God intended. Our mission here at Crossview Church is leading people in a growing relationship with Jesus Christ and giving yourself to the book of Romans during this series will do that really, really well. It will lead you and grow you in your relationship with Jesus and I'm so excited that we're kicking off this series today. Uh, we are going to be in this series until Christmas. So we're going to do a slow roll through the book of Romans. And I want to encourage you to give your heart to learn this book well. And we want to equip you and give you some tools along the way. The first one we're going to talk about is this Jesus Bible journal. So this is a journal that has the entire book of Romans in it, plus some helpful articles, plus some spots for notes. And these are at a table next to the Welcome Center. You can check them out. If you'd like to purchase one, they're five bucks, and we're going to put an order in a week from tomorrow. And you can use this through this entire series. In the series, this is, you, all you need to bring this to church, because you'll have the text there, you'll have everything here. And you can use this book to give yourself to the message of Romans, to help grow you as a believer as we walk through this series. So I encourage you to do that. 
Just as God has been faithful to us in our series we did on the book of Revelation, just as he was faithful to us in our series on prayer, he's going to be faithful and do amazing things in our hearts in this series. And I look so forward to it. But as we embark on this series in the book of Romans, as people who love Jesus and honor his word, we want to have an understanding of what's going on. Remember the, what I always tell you, the Bible wasn't written to us, it was written for us. And one of the things that help us know what he's saying when it's written for us is know what, who it was written to. So when we get into the context of what happened, it helps our understanding to grow. And so there's a, a website called The Bible Project that has lots of different videos to help train and disciple you in this and different things about the Bible, and I, I highly recommend it, rec- uh, recommend it. They're an amazing organization, and what I want to do to kick off our series is to watch a f- about a five-minute video clip from the Bible Project about the book of Romans so that you have a framework and an understanding of where we're going. So take a look at this video. Paul's letter to the Romans. It's one of the longest and most significant things ever written by the man who was formerly known as Saul of Tarsus. He was a Jewish rabbi belonging to a group known as the Pharisees, and he was passionate and devout to the Torah of Moses and the traditions of Israel, and he saw Jesus and his followers as a threat. But then he had a radical encounter with the risen Jesus, who commissioned him as an apostle, like an official representative, to the world of non-Jewish people called Gentiles in the Bible. And so he started going by his Roman name, Paul, and he traveled all around the ancient Roman Empire telling people about the risen King Jesus and forming his followers then into these new communities called churches. And Paul would occasionally write letters to these new Jesus communities to help them foster their faith or answer questions. And the book of Romans is one of these. It was actually written quite late in his career. Now, we know from the book of Acts that the church in Rome had existed for some time, that it was made up of Jewish and non-Jewish followers of Jesus. But at one point, the Roman emperor Claudius had expelled all of the Jewish people from Rome. And then about five years later, all of those Jews, including Jesus-following Jews, were allowed to return. And when they did, they found a church that had become very non-Jewish in custom and practice. And so this created lots of tension, so that by Paul's day, the Roman church was divided. People disagreed about how to follow Jesus. They were debating about whether non-Jewish Christians should celebrate the Sabbath or eat kosher or be circumcised. And so Paul wrote this letter to accomplish a few things. He wanted this divided church to become unified and for a practical purpose. He was hoping that the Roman church could become a staging ground for his mission to go even further west all the way to Spain. And so these circumstances are what motivated Paul to write out his fullest explanation of the gospel, the good news that he was announcing about Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. Now, the letter is designed to have four main movements, but it's unified as one long-flowing exploration of the gospel. The gospel, Paul says, first of all, reveals God's righteousness, and then it also creates a new humanity, which fulfills God's promise to Israel. And so it's this gospel that's going to unify the church. In this video, we're just going to explore the ideas in chapters 1 through 4. So Paul opens by introducing himself as an apostle appointed by God to spread the gospel about Jesus, how he's the Messiah of Israel who was raised from the dead as the Son of God 
king of the nations. And Jesus now calls all humanity to come under his loving rule. And Paul says this good news about King Jesus is, first of all, God's power to save people who trust in him, and second, that it reveals God's righteousness. Now, Righteousness is a rich Old Testament word for Paul. It describes God's character, that he always does justice, what is right and what is good, but also that he is faithful and just to fulfill his promises. And Paul's saying that the story of Jesus shows how God has done both of these things. How? Well, he goes first into a long creative retelling of Genesis chapters 3 through 11. He shows how all the Gentile world, all the nations, have become trapped in the spiral of sin and selfishness. The human heart and mind are broken, Paul says. We've turned away from God to embrace idolatry, which means finding ultimate significance in created things and then giving ultimate allegiance to these things that are not God. This results in a distortion of our humanity and destructive behavior. And so what's left is a humanity that stands guilty as charged before a just and righteous God. To which the people of Israel might say, well, it's a good thing then that God chose our people out from among the nations. He saved us out of slavery in Egypt. He gave us the laws of the Torah, like the Sabbath and eating kosher and circumcision. And these all together show us how to live as God's holy people. But, Paul says, not so fast. He recalls the storyline of the Torah and of the rest of the Old Testament, which shows that Israel was just as sinful and idolatrous and morally broken as the rest of humanity. Israel is actually more guilty than the Gentiles, Paul says, because they have the Torah. They should know better. And so, Paul concludes, all humanity, Gentiles, Israelites, are hopelessly trapped and guilty before God. But that is not the final word. The good news about Jesus is God's response. Instead of holding humanity guilty, Jesus came as Israel's Messiah to die on behalf of all people as a sacrifice for sins. As our representative, Jesus took into himself all of the just consequences of the pain, the sin, and the death that we have caused in the world. And he overcame it all by his resurrection from the dead. It's his new resurrection life that he makes available to others. Jesus became what we are so that we might become what he is. And all of this, Paul says, is how God justifies those who trust or have faith in Jesus. Now, justification is another rich Old Testament term for Paul, and it's related to God's righteousness. It literally means to declare righteous. Because of what Jesus did on our behalf, we are given a new status before God. Instead of finding us guilty, God declares that a person is in a right relationship with him and is forgiven. Justification results in a new family. The person who trusts in Jesus is given a place among God's covenant people. Justification also results in a new future, which begins a journey of life transformation by God's grace. And so all of these things about justification are God's gift to those who through their faith are in Christ. And so this leads Paul in chapter 4 to explore the huge implications that all of this has for who can be a part of God's covenant family. He goes back to the story of Abraham in Genesis chapter 15. Before any of the laws of the Torah were given to Israel, Abraham was justified or declared righteous before God. How? Well, God promised that Abraham would become a father of a large multi-ethnic family that would receive God's blessing. But he and his wife Sarah, they were really old. They had never been able to have children. 
But nonetheless, Abraham had radical faith and trust in God's promise. And so God declared him to be righteous. And so Paul says, now Abraham has become the father of God's new covenant family. And it's spreading all around the world. It's made up of Jews and Gentiles who have the same kind of faith and trust in the one who fulfilled God's promise to Abraham, Jesus the Messiah. So let's pause and summarize Paul's main ideas here in chapters 1 through 4 because they're the foundation for understanding the rest of the letter. All humanity is hopelessly trapped in sin and needs to be rescued. That rescue, however, is not going to happen by people trying to obey the laws of the Torah. Rather, God's righteous character has moved him to rescue the world through Jesus' death and resurrection so that he could create that multi-ethnic family of Abraham based on faith as his own new covenant people. And so Paul's going to go on to show how this new family is a part of something much, much bigger that calls them to a whole new way of life together. But it's all going to be rooted in these core ideas explored in chapters 1 through 4 of Paul's letter to the Romans. I couldn't have explained it any better than that. So there you go. The book of Romans is a book about the gospel and uh, the gospel and how it encounters our life. The first thing I want us to remember is the gospel is a the book of Romans is a gospel saturated letter. Most Christians who are followers of Jesus want to grow in Christ. They want to do this well. And Paul's method for us becoming more and more like Jesus was to be saturated in the gospel. That was his hope. That was his message. As one Bible commentator put it, Paul wanted to gospelize us in this book. And so he wants to uh, have us encounter the gospel. So he saturates this letter with the gospel. Second, this book is a community building letter. As you saw, there was the Gentile church because the Roman or the Jewish Christians were kicked out of the city of Rome. And so the Gentile Christians built the church for those five years and then they came back and they said, hey, you're not supposed to do that. You're supposed to do this. And there was this big conflict that took place. Paul knew that the gospel unifies. Paul knew that the gospel brings us together regardless of our ethnicity, our background, our experiences, anything that we are. This gospel unifies us and I think as a church we're going to experience that as we give ourselves to this letter. And finally, Romans is a missional letter. Paul wanted to establish a base so he can continue to take the gospel to the known world at the time. And so he wanted to, Romans to be a launching pad to go to Spain. And so we as God's people, as we encounter this letter, I hope and pray feel this tug to share this gospel with many, many people. So you may be here saying, what is the gospel? Well, we're going to give ourselves to that for the rest of the series, but I just want to give you a really thumbnail version of what the gospel is. And simplicity uh, and thought is the gospel, here's the gospel in four words. First of all, gospel begins with God. God created humanity, and he wanted to be in relationship with us. But in humanity in the Garden of Eden rebelled against God and sinned against God, and so our relationship with God was broken. Humanity rebelled, and ever since that time, the Bible says there was a separation between God and the human race. But God saw us in that spot and didn't want to leave us there because he loved us so much, so he sent his son Jesus to come. Jesus came to earth. God came in the form of a human being. 
And he lived the perfect life that we couldn't live. And he went to the cross and he became our sin. And at the cross, he bore the weight and penalty of God's punishment towards sin that was ours to carry. And he rose from the dead, giving us new life. And now an amazing thing happens. That because of what Jesus did, God gives sinners who turn to him, who surrender their lives to him, who trust him and follow him, eternal life. And it begins at the moment they turn their hearts to God here on earth. But this eternal life continues. And when Jesus Christ comes again and sets up a new heaven, a new earth, like we learned about in the uh, book of Revelation, we are going to be with him in that place, with Jesus Christ forever and ever and ever. Last night I was thinking about this as I was preparing for the sermon. I was thinking about I, may, I wonder what it's going to be like for all of us who are Christian, who have given our lives to the Lord, who are following him, to be in that place of the new heavens and new earth. Jesus returns. He sets up the new heavens and new earth. And we're going to be there. And I wonder what we'll think when we look back at this life in the here and now. We're going to think, man, we thought that was so, so important. And in some ways it is. We thought that was the be-all, end-all. But look at what we have now. And this is going to last forever and ever and ever. That's the gift of the gospel. That's what God does through this gospel. He gets us to that place of understanding that. So that's a summary. We're going to dig deeper throughout this series. So if you have a Bible, though, I would invite you to open the book of Romans now. If you're new to the Bible and you have a paper Bible, uh, if you kind of go to the middle and start going to the right, Go past Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Go past Acts. You'll hit Romans. If you hit First or Second Corinthians, you went too far. Back up. Uh, you can turn your Bible on. I'll be using the NIV if you're using an electronic version. And if you want to look on the Worship Center Bibles, I'll be on page 911. The book of Romans is about the best news a human being could ever hear. And it gives us a chance to respond. And one of the things we see right away that Paul introduces here is that the gospel is worthy of a person's entire life. The gospel is worthy of a person's entire life. Look at verse 1. It says, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle and set apart for the gospel of God. Paul was a slave. He was a bondservant to Jesus. And Jesus was his everything, his first and foremost. And he knew that life is lived best in that place. When Jesus is on the throne of our hearts, when he is first and center in our lives. It says he was an apostle, which means sent one, set apart for the gospel. His whole life now was radically shifted because of Jesus. Because of Jesus, not only is he interacting with God, but he's also reflecting this gospel and sending it out to the world around him. He wants the masses to know about Jesus and what he's done for the human race. Paul's description here could be a model for the church today. Imagine what would happen if all of us across your church were so impacted by Jesus that he became everything to us was on the throne of our hearts, calling all the shots, and then our knee-jerk reaction to that relationship was to reflect and tell as many people we can about who Jesus is. That would be altering to this world. That would be a huge shift. The second thing we see here is that the gospel is the longing of the human soul. Look at verse 2. The gospel he promised beforehand through his prophets 
in the Holy Scriptures. The gospel is something humanity has been longing for and waiting for ever since the fall in the garden. The gospel is not a new thing. The gospel was something that we see threaded throughout the Old Testament. And God used his prophets to tell people, one is coming who will save people from their sins. And the prophets passed this message on to the masses, written in the scriptures. God purposed that this message that was established long ago would arrive to humanity, that would be transmitted throughout the ages. And notice this. It says that he was set apart for the gospel of God. This is God's gospel. That's something to take note of. The main point of the gospel is not just to save us from hell and get us into heaven, though it does that, and that's an amazing gift. But the main point of the gospel is to give us God himself forever, because that's where we find life. That's where we find life eternal. The gospel gives us God himself, our chief longing, the chief longing of the human heart. Remember we talked about sanctification and how we we do those things that make us shake our heads and say, why do I do those things? In those places, God still loves us. In every one of those places and those things we do where we fall into sin and we do things that we regret, what we're doing is we're chasing after a counterfeit of God. Because the longing of our heart is to be fulfilled by God and God alone. In each and every sinful action, what we're doing is we're just accepting a counterfeit. We're exchanging how we were created and made to be, to be fulfilled by God alone. And we're running to other counterfeit things to seek that fulfillment. And the gospel meets us in that place. And helps us and empowers us and changes us. It's God's gospel. And we need the Holy Spirit to do that. When we come into a relationship with God, he gives us this gift of the Holy Spirit. And that Holy Spirit fulfills the longing of our heart as the Holy Spirit leads us into God's presence and into his ways. There was an amazing, interesting piece of artwork that an artist did in 2010 in the city of New York. And it wasn't an artist's work like you can hang in your room. It was more of an active thing. And the name of the exhibit was called The Artist is Present. And what this artist did is she took a table and she sat down at a chair and people could come and they could sit in the chair across from her and she would gaze into their eyes, never saying a word, just gazing into her eyes. And you could sit there as long as you wanted. You could sit there for 30 seconds or you could sit there for two hours. It didn't matter. And there was a line out the door to do this. Some of you are saying, I would never do that. But there was a line out the door to do this. She did this for three months, Monday through Friday, eight hours a day. She looked into the gaze of over 1,500 people. And most people were moved to tears. And when they interviewed most people, they said, I never had anyone pay attention to me like that. There's a longing in the human soul. There's a longing deep within the human soul. And the longing can only be filled by Jesus Christ alone. The gospel 
is also about the fullness of Jesus. Look at verses 3 and 4. Regarding his son who, as to his earthly life, was a descendant of David, and who through the spirit of holiness was appointed the Son of God in power by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. Paul describes Jesus in two ways. First, he describes his earthly life, a descendant, the Messiah, the one we long for, the Son of Man. Jesus came to earth. He's fully God. When he came to earth, he was fully God, and he added humanity, becoming fully God and fully human. We will not totally understand that. It's mind-blowing. So Paul talks about him being fully human, but then he also talks now about the fact that he was fully God, empowered by God, empowered by the Holy Spirit. He lived his life on the earth empowered by the Holy Spirit. He went to death on the cross empowered by the Holy Spirit. And then Romans later in chapter 6 says that same spirit that raised Christ from the dead, so the Holy Spirit resurrected Christ from the dead, all of this was in the power of the Holy Spirit to the glory of God. And it says that through the spirit of holiness, he was appointed, declared, son of God in power. That's who Jesus is. The Holy Spirit enabled him to go to the cross and offer himself a sacrifice for humanity, for sin for the entire world. Pastor Stuart Briscoe said this, humans worse produced a dead savior, God's best produced a risen Lord. Jesus, relying on the work of the Holy Spirit, accomplished this work to radically transform our lives. And what he calls us to do now as believers is to lean into the power of the Holy Spirit that we could live. The gospel also gives us mission and meaning. Look at verses 5 and 6. Through him we receive grace and apostleship. Notice, apostleship means sent one. Notice it's not just the apostle that's sent. Through him we receive grace. We receive this unmerited favor from God to be saved. But then he sends all of us out. Apostleship to declare this glorious gospel, to call all the Gentiles to the obedience that comes from faith for his name's sake. And you also are among those Gentiles who are called to belong to Jesus. In this gospel, we find our calling. In this gospel, we find our meaning. In this gospel, we find our mission. The longing of every human heart is exposed here. In the longing of every human heart, there's at least three things. One a need for identity. Who am I? Every single human being longs to know, who am I? There's this quest for identity. Second, a need for belonging. Where do I belong? In the place of every human soul, there's this crying need for community. The third thing is a purpose. What difference can I make? Identity, community, purpose are needs in every human heart. And the gospel of Jesus Christ fulfills those needs. But not only that, it's the only thing that will truly fulfill those needs. It's how we're created. God set this up. He put this all in place. All three of these are found in the gospel of Jesus Christ. We have a new identity. We have community as we're brought into his church. And we have a purpose to lead others in the same path we have been on to call all people to obedience in the faith. We call people to believe in Jesus. 
That's what faith is. Chris did an amazing job last week talking about believing in Jesus. Just believe. That means to put your whole life into Jesus Christ, to trust him fully and completely. Paul deliberately phrases this in a way to accomplish two objectives. First, he wants to awaken faith in unbelievers. He wants those far from God to kind of to understand who God is and be brought into the faith. And second, he wants to activate obedience in believers. That because this grace was so amazing, this love is so mind-blowing and boundless, and God, you saved me, you pulled me out of spiritual death, give me spiritual life. Because of that act, I love you so much, the only right response is to walk in the power of the Holy Spirit and holiness, to become more and more like you. And yes, I might fall. And when those moments I fall, I'm going to repent and confess and get right back up and say, God, empower me to follow you. The gospel does both of these things. And you know what else the gospel does? My last point, the gospel satisfies our soul. Look at verse 7. To all in Rome who are loved by God and called to be his holy people, grace and peace to you from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. The gospel satisfies our souls because Jesus satisfies our souls. The gospel leads us to Jesus. Paul uses this greeting, grace and peace, often throughout his letter. It's a common greeting, but it's so gospel-focused. Grace, this favor, this likeness from God, the fact that God loves you and likes you, not because of anything you did, but because of who he is. And peace, the shalom, this wholeness that God desires to bring you into, and he, the doorway is grace, and the benefit is this shalom. This greeting is another way of saying the things you've always longed for in your soul are now offered to you in fullness and reality because of Jesus Christ and who he is. What an amazing thing. Many, many, many people have found the book of Romans to be a life-changing, transforming, soul-satisfying abounding with love and grace letter. People throughout church history, like Martin Luther and John Wesley and John Calvin, people in politics like Abraham Lincoln, John Quincy Adams, Ulysses S. Grant, all wrote about the book of Romans. People in entertainment like Bono and Denzel Washington and Patricia Heaton have talked about how the book of Romans has impacted their life. And many, 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 many people, known and unknown, have been deeply impacted by this book. We saw it here last week in the baptisms. Wasn't that amazing? Kelly and Oakley and Barry and Derek and Addison and Angelina, from ages 10 to over 60, empowered by the gospel. We heard testimonies about being set free from anxiety, set free from sin, set free from addictions. That's the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. What an amazing thing. I think what makes the book of Romans so powerful, if I had to sum it up, was a tiny, tiny little phrase in verse six. Did you see it? There's this tiny little phrase in verse six. It says, and you also are among those Gentiles who are called to belong to Jesus. 
When you come to faith in Christ, when you repent and believe and you turn and you become a follower of Jesus, you belong to Jesus. Let that sink in a little bit. You belong to Jesus. This truth radically transforms us as human beings. The fact that when we give our lives, we now belong to the Son of God, that he calls us his own, that he gives us new life, that he says, you are mine. I'll give you an identity. You are my child. I'll give you a community. I'll put you in my family. I'll give you a purpose. Go tell others about who I am and what I've done. All because we belong to Jesus. We are brought into the presence of God not based on our abilities, not based on our merit, not based on the good things we can do, but because of who Jesus is and what he did. And he says, you belong to me, to all those that accept my invitation to come follow. You are now my children. Forever and ever you will belong to me. When you know that and understand that, it radically changes everything. Romans helps us to understand that. This is truth. But here's the deal. It's not just a one-time truth and done. Many people have said, you're never ever done with the book of Romans in this life. It's kind of like laundry. You know, you're always doing laundry. We're always going to be going back into the book of Romans because it's the truth and it reminds us of who we are. And every time we give ourselves to this book, it helps us to walk in the truth of who we are. And I don't know about you, but I need that all the time. You belong to Jesus. Let that be your starting place. There was a church father who said, our souls will find no rest until they find their rest in God. Man, if that's not true. You know, even to this day, I find myself getting caught up in other things, hoping my soul finds rest in this and this and this and this. And in the end of the day, it's all fake. It's all a veneer of promised rest. But when I get to that place by God's grace, where I lean into by the power of the Holy Spirit, the amazing person God is, my soul finds rest. There's a family who adopted two boys from Russia a long time ago. Actually, this was right at Woodlands Church in Plover. I remember when this happened. This family invited these, or adopted these two boys from Russia, and they brought them in their home. And I remember the first Sunday they came to church with these two adopted boys. And I was working uh, kind of the nursery area. I was putting some things together and I watched them bring these two adopted boys in. It was the first time ever at nursery at church. And they walked in and they looked around. And as they looked around, all of a sudden, right at the same time, both boys started taking their shoes off. They started unlacing their shoes and then they started unbuttoning their shirt. And all of a sudden, the mom realized what was going on. And she stopped them. And she explained to us that when they were orphans in Russia, they would get transferred from orphanage to orphanage and orphanage. And when you came into a new orphanage, the standard drill was to take off your shoes and take off your clothes and go take a shower. And so they thought this whole trip from Russia back to the United States, and now they walked in here, this is just the next orphanage for me. Their heart was trained to be an orphan. 
That's all they knew. That was the default place for them. And this mom grabbed them. And they didn't do church that day. They went home. And she just affirmed to them over and over and over, you're no longer an orphan. You're now our sons. You're a child. So many times as Christians, we give our lives to Jesus Christ and we forget and we stay in orphanage mode. And we go to orphanage to orphanage to orphanage seeking life. The gospel calls us back to know that we belong to Jesus. We are his children. We belong to him, no longer orphans. And when we live in that place, it radically transforms us. Let this be your starting place every single day of your life. Every possible challenge, every possible question in life can be resolved when you start from that place. We belong to Jesus. And when we revel in that, and when we stay in that, and when we think on that, and we enjoy that, you know what happens? Jesus is exalted because of who he is and what he's done. What a better thought to grab as we go into communion today. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the amazing declaration that we belong to you. Let the truth of that resonate and ring in our souls. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. As we move into a time of communion, just by way of reminder, you do not need to be a member of Crossview Church to take communion. You just need to be a member of the body of Christ. So if you've given your life to Jesus and you're following him, by all means, you can join us in communion. Parents, we look to you to be the spiritual leaders of your home. And so if your children understand the gospel and they understand what communion is, by all means, they can join us in this time. Uh, also, we ask that you would just hold and opening the elements until we do it as a corporate body so that we can take the elements together as one church family. Those who've given their lives to Jesus belong to Jesus. We are justified. We are declared righteous. And then we begin this journey, like we talked about, called sanctification, where we have moments where we grow close to God, and then we have moments where we say, what just happened? One day, we'll be free from the power of sin forever, and we'll be glorified and will we be with Jesus? But in the meantime, when we're in that spot where we have those moments, God gave us an amazing gift called confession and repentance that restores our relationship with Jesus again, restores our fellowship with him again. And so it's important for us as Christians to learn a life of repentance, to learn a life of confession. The purpose of communion is to remember Jesus and what he did. And what a great way to remember and honor him is by putting confession into practice. The Bible says an awful lot about confession. Look at this in Psalm 32, 1 to 2. Let's recite this together. Blessed is the one whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord does not count against them, and whose spirit is no deceit. There's an amazing place called confession where you can be made new again. You can have a clean conscience. The blood of Jesus can wash away your sin as a follower of Jesus. So I'm going to give you a time now of silence. 
And I encourage you in the quietness of your heart and your soul to spend some time with your Savior, Jesus. And if there's things you need to confess and there's things you need to repent of, do that now before we take communion together. But I just want to give you that time with him alone. So let's go before him together as one corporate body. Jesus, I thank you that because of who you are and what you've done, we can have forgiveness. We thank you for what you did for us on the cross. And we ask you to help us to walk in it more deeply. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you've spent time in confession, the Bible tells us if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If you spent that time, walk in the forgiveness that God gives you in Jesus Christ. Walk into that place. And with that place, let's now dive in communion together. If you could take the elements and open them up. We'll start with the bread. On the night our Lord Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and he gave thanks and he broke it. And he said, this bread is the body of me. Do this in remembrance of me. Not only did he say the bread is my body, but then after supper he took the cup. And he took this cup and he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. Jesus, we thank you for the power of your blood. We thank you for all sufficient merit that we sang about. We thank you that you make us clean and you bring us into relationship with you, and we thank you that we belong to you. And we pray this all in Jesus' name, amen. As per tradition, when we do communion here at Crossview Church, I encourage you to stand, and we're going to close our service by singing the doxology together as our benediction and final song, and then you are dismissed. So let's sing this together. Praise God from... Have a blessed day.